Hello and welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside Numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thank you for spending time with me today. I know there are a lot of choices out there. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram, both at CubsPSPlus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS+. Please take 10 seconds and drop a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you find your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds will help me get better and help others find the show. I'd love to know what you want to know about Cubs baseball. Welcome into episode 22. It's been a crazy couple weeks since I last recorded. I've traveled all the way across the country and then halfway back again, celebrated Hanukkah and Christmas with family, watched the Cubs finally land a big fish, all while Carlos Correa agreed to terms with at least two teams and had both deals fall apart. Jed's plan is becoming more and more clear. Whether it's a good enough plan remains to be seen. And this week I talk about how some of the recent moves play into that plan. The bulk of this episode, though, will focus on what I think were the top five most impactful moves the Cubs made in 2022. As we look back one more time before stepping into 2023, what do you think were the biggest moves of last year? Are you ready? I'm ready. Here. We. Go. Thank you for joining me one more time during this holiday season. Last time we spoke, I was wondering what Jed's plan was. It looked like he might miss all the big fish, but now we got Dansby Swanson. So... The plan is actually starting to come together now. A lot of that really settled out for me when the Cubs did sign Swanson. I think the entire offseason did hinge on the Cubs getting one of those shortstops. I thought they would, and they did. And as it turns out, even though you know I've said that I like Carlos Correa better, with all the medical stuff going on, maybe this is actually the best-case scenario here. So when we look at Jed's plan, I had a lot of questions last week. It seemed like they, were, they missed on catcher. They maybe were, maybe weren't going to get a shortstop. What's the plan? Well, I think the plan's becoming pretty clear at this point. I think the Cubs are very much playing a run prevention game for 2023. The moves they've made have really improved the defense. Cody Bellinger is a huge upgrade in center field. Nico Horner becomes a great upgrade at second base. And Dansby Swanson is arguably maybe a, a bit of an upgrade over Nico Horner at shortstop. So the Cubs are now very strong up the middle. They've added Tucker Barnhart. So Tucker Barnhart and Jan Gomes will make a very strong catching combination as far as defense goes. And the Cubs are now classically strong up the middle. They might be as good as anybody in baseball uh, in terms of defense up the middle, which plays into the pitching. The Cubs pitching staff improved greatly last year. They've got some young pitchers coming up. They've got Marcus Stroman. They, they have a pitching staff that throws a lot of strikes and pitches to a lot of contact. What do you want behind that? You want a good defense. So they added Jamison Tyone. Um, he's probably going to be you know, th- th- number three starter. So the question there is they don't really have an apparent ace. How much does that matter? Um, I could argue it matters a lot, or I could argue it doesn't matter much at all. I think in the big picture, I think obviously you want to have an ace. I think at any given point in baseball, there are probably about 15 true aces in baseball. And there are 30 teams, and some teams have more than one. So not every team has an ace. Not every team has a true number one that would be a number one pitcher on any pitching staff. The Cubs don't have that. Justin Steele pitched like it at times last year. Maybe Hayden Wesneski can 
bump up to that. Um, there are a couple guys in the minor league system that look like either they could be high number twos or maybe a, a low end number one. But I think that's something you continue to watch for. I think when you have the opportunity to get a number one, you know, maybe the Cubs work out a trade at some point to bring in a maybe young starter from the Marlins or from another team. But if the Cubs can stack up a number of quality pitchers, if you can throw three number twos and two number threes out there, you've got a really strong pitching rotation. You want that big ace for the playoffs, but the Cubs are in a position where they've not been winning. They only won 74 games last year, which was an improvement over the year before. So the Cubs need to play their way into division contention, into wildcard contention. And I think they're getting the pitching staff to to do that. I think when you look at this rotation, whatever order you want to put these guys in, you're looking at Marcus Stroman. Hopefully Justin Steele can pitch the way he was pitching in the second half. He's, he starts to become maybe almost a borderline ace. You can throw Jamison Tyone in there as a solid number three. They brought Drew Smiley back. He's in play. Um, Kyle Hendricks, if he's healthy, would be in play for a rotation spot. And Hayden Wesneski, who we'll talk more about later today, really does you know look like that next new starting pitcher that might stick. In addition, they, they have depth. I mean, I didn't even mention Adrian Sampson and Javier Assad, who really carried them through big parts of the second half last year. I didn't mention Caleb Killian, who looked very promising before losing his command last year. I didn't mention, you know, guys like Jordan Wicks, who's come, who's coming up and could potentially make a debut at some point this year. Keegan Thompson's probably going to be in the bullpen. Adbert Azale is probably going to be in the bullpen. This is a much, much deeper pitching staff than the Cubs had last year. One of the things that really killed the 2022 Cubs was a huge rash of injuries that happened early. Wade Miley, Drew Smiley, Marcus Stroman, Kyle Hendricks really all missed significant time early in the air. When you have a pitching staff that was not deep, even some of the depth, you know, Alec Mills was hurt. So the staff was not deep. They tried a whole bunch of guys until they sort of figured things out um, to fill the gaps. Keegan Thompson stepped up. Justin Steele threw well. But that staff did not have enough depth. This year, I feel like, you know, I mean, you lose four starting pitchers to injury for two months, your team is going to suffer. That's just how it is, almost no matter how deep you are. However, now if one or two guys go down, you're now looking at Javier Assad or Adrian Sampson coming in to to fill that number five spot. Um, There could be a scenario where Kyle Hendricks or Drew Smiley don't make the rotation. So there's depth here, there are options, and I think that part of the strategy is, is... looking pretty solid at this point. There will come a point, whether it's at the trade deadline, whether it's next off season, where either through development within the system, maybe a Cade Horton, maybe Jordan Wicks takes another step and, and elevates his game, where you want to add that ace pitcher. That's something obviously the Cubs want. They need stars. Hopefully they'll get stars. But for now, the pitching looks significantly improved over last year, particularly when combined with that defense. Because remember, we've talked about this before, but the Cubs were basically dead last in baseball in center field defense, and they were bottom, you know, bottom third easily in, in defense at second base. Those two positions in particular were really weak and really hurt the Cubs pitching last year. On offense, that's where I still have my questions. Um, you lost Wilson Contreras, and Dansby Swanson maybe replaces him. Um, we'll see if Dansby hits as well as he did in his walk here. But Dansby's a guy that has a lot of power. And the Cubs have shown an ability to help guys cut down strikeouts. 
So if Dansby Swanson can come over, still provide that power, and also cut back on the strikeouts a little bit in conjunction with the um, with the shift being gone, I think all of a sudden now things start to can start to move a little bit. But it, it does feel like they're uh, maybe a maybe a bat short right now. They're clearly looking for organic growth. That's part of the plan of the offense. They want um, Matt Mervis to come in and produce at first base. They want to get more out of Patrick Wisdom by probably platooning him and having him only face lefties, which he hits really well. So it should overall maybe not increase his total production, but it should decrease some of the negatives that he brings in. I think you can still get organic growth out of, say, a Suzuki in his second year. Christopher Morrell, Nico Horner are young players. And then you hope, you know, Cody Bellinger gets back to some something like what he used to be. Uh, I don't think we'll see the MVP Bellinger again, and I'm, I'm setting my expectations fairly low for him just to be a defensive upgrade. But he does have a lot of lefty power, and he's had success in the past. So if he can get that swing back to where it was a few years ago, you know, who knows? We'll see. Um, the bats still feel a little bit light, like I said, there's talk they might trade, um, they might make a trade somewhere. Um, I've heard a lot of rumblings about the Cubs maybe making a deal for Raphael Devers from Boston. He would be an amazing addition. And all of a sudden, if Devers was now part of that lineup and penciled in at third base, now that's another proven bat to go with Dansby Swanson, to go with an emerging Nico Horner, say a Suzuki, Ian Happ. You know, now all of a sudden that lineup starts looking like an actual playoff contender. Um, they might sign Trey Mancini. Obviously, he's not as good as Devers, but would make them better, would take some of the pressure off Matt Mervis to start. So we'll see that this offseason is still a work in progress. And as I've said all along, I'm going to hold off on judging the offseason and making declarative statements until the offseason's done because all these moves kind of work together. And so while it feels like there are missing pieces, the offseason's not over. There's still time to get those pieces. There are just fewer options sort of obviously available. Um, trade theoretically could be just about anybody. We don't necessarily know who is or is not available by trade. So we'll follow the rumors on that. But today what I want to talk about is we're heading into 2023. I hope you had some great time off from work or school or you know got to ce- celebrate whatever it is you celebrate with friends and family, unwind, kind of refresh as we hit the end of the year. And I want to take a look back at 2022. I think we're going to see that there have been some clear phases since Theo came over. There was the there was the tank and rebuild phase. There was the win phase that didn't last as long as it should have. There was the we're not rebuilding, rebuilding phase. And then it became clear that, yeah, we're actually rebuilding. So here we are. And I think 2022, there were five moves that really stood out to me that kind of made me feel like we hit the end of the rebuild and now we're pushing back towards winning. Now, how fast we get back to winning, we'll see. But I'm going to go through five moves that I thought really made a difference in 2022 and kind of changed my mindset as we went through that season. So I'll start with, these were gonna, These will be more chronological based, not so much ranking them in order, but you know, feel free to, to do it however you want to do it when you think about it in your own head. I'm going to jump back to May 17th. That was a day that took me back to 2014, 2015, 2016, when the Cubs just, it seemed like every couple weeks had some new kid come up and was an absolute sensation. 
Now, the Cubs have had young players come up over the past few years, Yoniko Horner, Justin Steele, Keegan Thompson, who have had success, but those electric moments have kind of been few and far between. And while the Cubs have been in this, you know, not rebuilding, rebuilding stage, they have made a lot of trades. They've made the system a lot deeper. They've also made a lot of upgrades in what they're doing within the system to improve player development. We talked a few weeks ago with Mark Weissman, the strength and conditioning coach at Myrtle Beach. I hope to have some people in in the coming weeks to talk about some of the other things that the Cubs are doing in terms of you know what can be done in a pitch lab, how you approach pitchers to add another pitch or change their mix or evaluate a grip and try to get more movement on a pitch. But what they're doing has seemed to pay off. The Cubs, a few seasons ago before the U Darvish trade, were one of the worst farm systems in baseball. All those guys had come up together. The Cubs had traded most of what was left, chasing pitching because they hadn't developed any during basically the entirety of the Theo era. So the Cubs had to replenish, and it's it's been there. We've, we've kept hearing there's talent, but it's at the low levels, and it's starting to come up. This year, this year we saw it. Um, Christopher Morrell and Brandon Hughes came up on May 17th. They both made their Major League debut, and they both absolutely sparkled. It was amazing. Christopher Morrell came up in his first at bat, had told Wilson Contreras earlier that he was going to homer in his first major league at bat, and then he did it, and he missed first base, and everybody went crazy. Let's hear the clip from that. Here's the 3-2. Here's the And in the same game, Brandon Hughes came in, made his major league debut. He faced six batters, struck out five of them, walked one. But let's hear the call of his final strikeout. So let's talk more about those guys. What did those guys do for the 2022 Cubs? Well, they were big debuts. It was it was splash. It gave the fans. I mean, I heard sounds coming out of that game. It was a seven nothing win over Pittsburgh. I mean, it was the Cubs were already out of contention. Pittsburgh was terrible, so not a great win. Not playoffs, but there was a great atmosphere again because there was now something to get excited about. And. As the season wore on, it looks like these guys are going to play big roles moving forward. So we'll talk about Morrell first. I mean, he, he hit that home run, and he just caught fire after that. He reached base in each of his first 22 games, which uh, was a Cubs record. I, I can't remember what the previous record was, but it was really impressive. And w- when you look at Christopher Morrell, he was a guy who, at the time of the call-up, he did come up straight from double-A, so that's a huge jump. And he was a guy who was a top 20-ish prospect. I think I think he might have been 
actually the 21st best Cubs prospect at the moment he came up. So he's not even one of those top, top, top guys. He's not a top 10. He's not a top five. This isn't Brennan Davis who we've been watching and waiting for. I know there were a lot of people who were super high on Christopher Morrell. I've, I've listened to Greg Huss and uh, on his podcast talk about Christopher Morrell for a couple of years now. And it kind of started in 2019. Like the Cubs signed him as an 18 year old and it took him a little bit, a little bit of time to adjust and build his strength up. 2019 is really when he exploded. He had a 124 WRC plus and he saw his first big spike of power with a 183 ISO previous high had been 135, I believe. Um, then of course there's no baseball in 2020 in the minor leagues because of the pandemic. And he, he did fall back a little bit in 2021, but he wasn't bad. I mean, he had a just over 100 WRC+, plus, had a solid season. Um, but then, really, he exploded this year. Before he came up to Chicago in you know 30 games or something in, in the minors, he had a 147 WRC+, plus and just an insane 259 ISO, which is isolated power. So you're basically isolating, you know, if, if all he hit were his power hits, his batting average would be 259. So you're taking all the singles out of play and, and all that sort of thing. So it's a measure of power, and it shows that he makes a lot of hard contact. And when he came up, that's what he's done. In the bigs, he had a 108 WRC plus last year as a rookie with a 198 ISO. His big downside was a strikeout rate. You know, he came out, started hot. Pitchers adjusted to him, and he started to see more major league breaking balls, which you don't see a lot of in AA. Um, so... He had a big year, but that strikeout rate was 32%. And it got worse than that as the season went on. The pitcher saw what he couldn't hit, and he saw more and more of that. So his next step is to show that he can adjust back to major league pitching. Can he hold off on some of the fishing on some of those pitches? You know, this this last month, the last two months of the season, his strikeout rate was up to like 38%, which is way too high. So the Cubs need to work with him, get that K rate down. But if he gets that K rate down, he makes hard contact. And he is fast. He is the, I think he's the fastest player on the team. Certainly very close with Nico Horner. Um, one of the fastest players in the league. So another interesting thing about Morrell last year, and, and this plays into how the Cubs might use him next year, is he kind of hit to reverse splits. He had a 119 WRC plus against right-handed, right-handed pitching as a right-handed hitter and just an 81 against lefties. So that would mean that the Cubs could potentially, depending on what they do at first base, put him in a bit of a platoon with Patrick Wisdom at third base, even though they both hit right-handed. You know, you want Patrick Wisdom playing against left-handed pitching because he crushes lefties and he does not hit righties hardly at all. So Morrell and Wisdom can make a nice pairing. Or Morrell can just hopefully take over third base and maybe Wisdom winds up platooning with Matt Mervis at first base. But the fact that he hits the reverse splits is interesting given some of the other players in the in the mix. So he's projected to have another good season next year. I've seen some of the early projections have him, you know, again, at a little above 100 WRC plus. And as a young player, he's only 23, so he'll turn 24 next year. You know, he's still got a lot of growth to go, and he's just got some electric talent, and he sort of has a knack um, for getting people excited. I mean, I love his energy. I, I need more Christopher Morrell energy in my life. Um, all of his fist-bumping umpires and hugging guys on the base paths and, you know, all those things um, just make him a really fun player to watch. And so hopefully he'll continue to grow this year and, and pick that up. 
And Brandon Hughes, who made his debut the same day, you know, he's an interesting case. He is a guy that the Cubs have always had in the system as a reliever. They've had a couple of those come up, but Hughes was maybe the first one to come up and really make a huge impression. And he really threw a lot more innings this year than he ever has in his career. He threw 31 innings in 2019, threw 41 in 2021, and then this year he threw over 70. He threw 17 in the minors before coming up, and then 57 in Chicago. And he was excellent. He held up all year. Um, I could argue that he actually pitched better in some bigger spots late in the season after the Cubs traded off guys like David Robertson and Chris Martin and Michael Givens. He had a excellent 78 ERA minus per fan graphs. And he really, you know, was consistent. He's a lefty. He's consistently uh, striking out more than 10 batters per nine innings. And while there have been other young players having success, you know, Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson, we've already talked about a little bit, but Brandon Hughes kind of showed that, you know, again, he's not one of the top arms. He's not Jeremiah Estrada who, you know, everybody's excited to see with his just elite nasty stuff or Manny Ramirez who could throw a hundred. You know, he's a guy who can do a lot of things, not super flashy, Maybe not the best pitches, but he is really good. And so it's good to see him come up, make that impression. And I think it just show, it kind of helps give fans faith that the Cubs are doing a good job developing pitching prospects. So I've got Christopher Morrell and Brandon Hughes coming up to the bigs as my first big move of the season. Called it one move since I happened on the same day. My second big move of the season came on June 28th. And that day is the day the Cubs released Jonathan VR. And I've talked a bit about this in the past, but where I think this was a really impactful move is basically raising the floor. I talk about I talked about this in episode six. The Cubs went into last season with a really thin roster, a thin pitching staff. And during the season, it's unless you make trades at the deadline or something, it's really hard to in- increase the overall talent on your team unless you bring up some stud minor leaguers or make make those trades. But you can do a lot to turn players and improve the bottom half of your roster. And Jonathan VR is a guy who's always been solid in his career. I actually was kind of excited about the signing when they signed him last offseason. He's never I don't think he's ever been an all-star, but you know, he's he's not a star player, but he's a guy who kind of consistently produces most of his career. He's been above 100 WRC+. plus. He can give you solid defense in multiple positions. And it looked like another good guy the Cubs could mix and match, especially when they weren't sure if Nico Horner could play a full season at shortstop, if Nick Madrigal could be healthy. You know, VR seemed like a guy who could fill in in a lot of spots and help out, and he was just awful. I mean, everything fell apart for him. I I felt bad for him, but it, it all fell apart for him in Chicago. His offense was just terrible, you know, career worst, 58 WRC plus. Um, his defense totally vanished. I mean, he made like eight errors and, you know, negative seven defensive runs saved. I mean, it, it really was a bad season for him, and I, I hope he can rebound and, and have some some more success in his career. But when the Cubs made that move, it was they were already out of the race. I mean, there, there was no hope of really of them getting back in contention. But that coming about a month after Christopher Morrell came up, 
Um, it just kind of showed that there was a bottom half of the roster that the Cubs showed that they were going to work on during the season in 2022. And not all the moves panned out, but they were willing to move on from VR. We'll talk about Jason Hayward later. That's another one of my moves. But they moved on from Jackson Frazier. They moved on from Ildemaro Vargas. They moved on from Andrelton Simmons. He would Simmons would get released August 7th, but by June 28th, he really wasn't playing anymore. He was hurt, and then they waited for him to rehab and come back, and then and then they let him go. And in that mix, the Cubs made some deals. They brought in Zach McKinstry. You know, they let some minor league players come up and, and get a shot. And it was good to see it. it Gave them a chance to give Christopher Morrell more playing time. And it just showed they weren't going to just hold on to players who weren't producing, which is something that, frankly, frustrated me during uh, particularly the 2021 season. Um, so that was my my second big move. My third big move, again, we're going chronological order here. So we're jumping to August 1st. The Cubs traded Scott Efrost for Hayden Wesneski. My initial reaction was... Not Scotty Efros. Are you kidding? He's the best reliever we have. But very quickly, I calmed down. And once I thought about it, if you can get a legitimate major league starter for a good major league reliever, you've done fine in that trade. I don't. I don't really care that much about winning trades. If you know, it's unfortunate that Efros got hurt in New York. But you know, if the Cubs could have gotten a quality starting pitcher and Efros can go be successful and help the Yankees win baseball games, everybody wins in that deal, and it's great. But I just didn't – if you trade a reliever for a starter, you're not losing that deal if that starter turns out to be good. And, I mean, Hayden Wesneski looks the part. He came over with great numbers. He did get rocked in his first start in Iowa, but I think he was probably a little extra hyped up trying to show that, you know, he's the man and, and you know, he can do all the things that he was hyped up to do. But then he calmed down. He came back. He threw really well at AAA after that point. And then got his start in the bigs and made a splash. He came in and out of the bullpen. He made some starts. He threw an immaculate inning. You know, let's listen to that clip. Chance for an immaculate inning on this pitch. And he got him. How about that? Aid Wisniewski. The three punch outs on nine pitches. So Winsky, Collins, and Delay go down. Wisniewski looks like a guy who maybe not ever be an ace of a staff, but he certainly looks like a guy who can certainly be a number three, get up to a solid, even good number two. You need guys like Hayden Wisniewski. If, if the Cubs get to a point where they're slotting Hayden Wisniewski two, three, four in their rotation, it's going to be fine. He's a really good pitcher. He throws a lot of strikes. He's active on the mound. I love watching him strut around like, uh, you know, like almost like Max Scherzer. I've heard that comparison out there. He doesn't pitch like Max Scherzer. I don't think he's going to have Max Scherzer's upside, but who does? But he's a guy who, like Keegan Thompson, Wisniewski might start in the bullpen this year, if, especially if Kyle Hendricks is healthy. Or he could start at the back end of the rotation and go from there. And he's built himself up. He's had some past injuries, but he threw almost 144 innings last year across AAA in the major leagues. And so I'm hoping this year, you know, you you want to build on that and it push him a little bit further. They may, well, they probably will have to manage his workload somewhat over the course of the season. But 
you know, he seems like a guy who could probably push past 150 innings when he's really on. He's efficient. I mean, immaculate inning. He struck out three guys on nine pitches. But if you watched his starts and look back at those numbers, he did have a couple of his last week. He did have a couple starts get away from him a little bit. But for the most part, he was really efficient with his pitches. And that allowed him to go, you know, into the seventh inning a couple times. So he's a guy I really have my eye on this year. And I think that was a fantastic move. You know, he's one. It's, it's good to see that pay off. Um, again, then the new pitching infrastructure, all the people they brought in. He's a guy that they saw and they liked. And he came over and immediately had success. You love to see that. So my number four big move this past year was parting ways with Jason Hayward. Probably this arguably could have been done a couple years ago. But I think it finally showed that the Cubs were ready to stop, change course, and eat some money if they had to just to move on. I think the fans needed Jason Hayward to move on. Um, I really like Jason Hayward. I like a lot of what he brings to the game. He did not ever live up to the contract and, you know, he basically said as much himself, but he's a good guy with a great baseball reputation that I hope, you know, maintains good relationships with the Cubs front office and maybe joins them at some point. I think once his playing days are over, I think he has a chance to be a really, really good coach. I think he could be really successful in a front office. I think he really understands the game and what it takes so hopefully he'll he'll go on. But the Cubs reached a point where he just couldn't be an outfielder. The Cubs have a lot of young outfielders coming up. Hopefully we'll see Brendan Davis this year. We might see, you know, PCA and maybe late this season, but probably 2024. Owen Casey's coming up. Hopefully Alexander Canario can get healthy. I mean, there's just a lot of people a lot of people coming up. They have Seiya Suzuki. They got Cody Bellinger now. And it just it was time to time to move on. And so August 8th, they announced that Jason Hayward was going to miss the rest of the season with his injuries. And then the Cubs were going to let him go. They did ultimately, you know, let him go once the season was over. But I'm calling this the August 8th move. It just showed that the Cubs were ready to move on from the team they had. They were willing to eat Hayward's $22 million in real money and $23 million against the competitive balance tax this year to just let him move on. He's now signed with the Dodgers. I wish him the best. If he can salvage a little something and, you know, give them some value, I'm I'm all for it unless he beats the Cubs. But while we all remember the worst of Jason Hayward, because that's all we've seen for the last couple of years, he didn't ever live up to his contract. But, you know, he did put in some solid seasons from 2018 to 2020. He posted WRC pluses of 100, 100, 131. He did have a positive Fangraphs war every year until last year. But even, you know, once he came over from St. Louis, not only did the bat go and he never hit like he did in St. Louis or Atlanta, but his defense, his defense was still good for a couple of years, but his defense started to fade. Um, some of that is just mother nature being undefeated. You know, you lose, you lose a step here and there. You lose a little bit of arm strength, a little bit of reaction time. And when you're, all your value is tied up in defense and that starts to go and the injuries start to pile up. You know, it's, it, it's a, it's a quick fall. So I'm not going to bash Jason Hayward, but it was time to move on. And it also showed that, you know, the Cubs took chances on some guys last year. So it also kind of showed that the Cubs were not going to fall too in love with those guys. You know, Patrick wisdom is still here because he's shown some value, but ultimately the Cubs moved on from Rafael Ortega and Frank Schwindel and other guys who, maybe had splashed some value at some point and look like they might be, you know, cheap acquisitions. 
but when it didn't work, it's time to move on. It's time to get guys who perform. So hopefully the Cubs continue that, but I thought that was a really big move when the Cubs actually made it official and showed fans that they were willing to do it. The last one I'll have is the most recent one. It's signing Dansby Swanson. There have been a, there's been a lot of talk on Twitter and the podcasts and the media about the Cubs aren't going to spend. Jed wants to be the Rays. And I think it was really important that the Cubs went out this year with the number of guys that were available and get at least one. Go show that you'll sign a big contract. You know, it, it's not a 11 years, $300 million like some players were getting, but it's a good quality player that they went in seven years for, fully guaranteed, no trade clause, $177 million. So they made a big commitment. And I think it showed that the Cubs are willing to do that. And I, I hope that means they're willing to do it again. There's been a lot of talk about there being money to spend. I don't like the way the front office and the business side have kind of sort of had a bit of a battle in the press. Well, it's really all one-sided. It's the business side kind of going at the player side in in the press. But, you know, Dansby Swanson brings great defense. So, again, playing into that plan I talked about earlier, now you have Dansby Swanson and Nico Horner up the middle in a year when the shift is gone. Those two both have tremendous range and I think could wind up being the best defensive shortstop and second base combo in baseball. Then you add to that, you know, center field. Again, we're playing into that great defense. I can't wait to watch Dansby and Nico turn two. The other thing about Dansby is he's got power. Cubs are missing power. And he doesn't have elite power, but he does have he does have good power. His his big problem is he strikes out too much. So the Cubs have shown that they can work with guys and get those strikeout rates down. So if they can get Dansby's strikeout rate down a little bit, a little bit more hard contact, I mean he plays gap to gap. So that could be really, really valuable in a year with no shift. And when you look at the Dansby Swanson addition and shifting Nico to second base, you basically we could debate whether Dansby is projected to be a offensive upgrade over Horner, but either one of those guys is a big upgrade over what the Cubs put out at second base last year. It also maybe allows Christopher Morrell to play at third base, whether it's in platoon with wisdom or not. Um, so it, Dansby makes the Cubs lineup deeper. He's got good speed. You know, I don't know that the Cubs are going to steal a million bases, but the Cubs have been pretty aggressive on the bases under David Ross. So hopefully that holds true. A couple honorable mentions for me. Um, I think we're going to wind up feeling really, really good about the David Robertson trade for Ben Brown. Ben Brown was a guy who I know initially when the Cubs got him, he was, I don't know, 21st, 24th in the Phillies system. And there were some people kind of scoffing at that deal. But with Ben Brown coming off, you know, his past surgery and getting healthy, getting back into action after, you know, surgery and missing the COVID year, he's come up the charts fast. And now he's he's in the Cubs top 10. Looks like a guy who might be able to crack the top 100 prospects this year. Big, strong pitcher, throws hard. Don't know for sure where he projects. But I think he's another guy who can be a solid two. And again, if you know, if the Cubs fast forward two, three years and they've got four number twos in their rotation, I'll take it. I want an ace two, but I'll take four twos. Um and then the other one I will say is is signing signing Jameson Tyone. Again, it's another it's not a big, big fish like Dansby Swanson. Um, but it's another go out and get a starting pitcher for four years. It's another move like Marcus Stroman. 
clearly makes the pitching staff better and deeper. So what did you think were the Cubs' most impactful moves this year? I threw out some and gave my reasonings. I would love to hear what you thought, um, which moves stood out to you. But we're going to see a lot more in the next few weeks, hopefully over the next two, three weeks, get into January. Hopefully the Cubs get that roster finalized. I, I still think they're going to add another bat. I'm not sure if it's going to be Mancini or a trade. Um, I also think the bullpen probably picks up one more guy. So we'll we'll see what the Cubs do. Um, I, I had said all along I thought the Cubs were going to spend – up to, but probably not go past the the competitive balance tax. I had figured the Cubs might spend two ten to two hundred and twenty million out of the two hundred and thirty three CBT. Cubs currently sit at two thirteen, so I think they have a little bit of wiggle room to make a couple more additions and not go over that. I think the Cubs. I don't care if the Cubs go over that. It's it's a monetary penalty. That even even though it escalates the monetary penalty on the owner it doesn't it doesn't impact me one way or the other. So I'm all for it if they go past it. I would expect they don't though because I think the Cubs have a couple guys who their hope, Cubs will hope to extend. The Cubs do have a ton of money coming off the books next year, which should allow them to make a big splash. And you know, if they don't get traded this year and they don't get extended by their teams, you're going to have Shohei Otani and Rafael Devers out on the free agent market next year and. Those would absolutely be two guys the Cubs should go after hard. So hopefully the Cubs get a trade done. Maybe they do trade for Devers. All of a sudden, if they trade for Devers, I think the Cubs look like a the NL Central can, uh, front runner. So we'll see. But I hope you all have a great new year. I'm so thankful that you chose to spend some of your time listening, and I hope you enjoyed your time here. If you liked what you heard, please take 10 seconds and drop a rating and review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you find your podcasts. Just a few seconds will help me get better and help others find the show. As always, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CubsPSPlus. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs and have a very merry new year.